the children, four years old up through third grade may be dismissed. All the children, four years of age up through third grade. You can follow Miss Amber upstairs for children's Bible time. All the children, four years old up through third grade. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 in the Word of God. And let's bow our hearts and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, what a blessing it is to be able to be here tonight with your people. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sweet songs that we've been able to sing and for the sweet songs that have been sung to remind us of you. Lord Jesus, I pray that we'd understand when we leave tonight that it's nothing about us, but it's all about you. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your greatness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and your gentleness in our lives. Help this preacher as I preach tonight to preach Jesus nothing but. I pray for anyone here that's not saved that they would understand the theme of the word of God and they would be born again. We'll thank you in the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ we ask these things. Amen. You know, Paul tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But I believe this, that many times we think of ourselves too much. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And someone said long time ago that if you want to know of the great impact that you have and the great impact that you will have, just take your hand and stick it down in a five-gallon bucket of water and pull it out and see what kind of a dent you made. And that's a good, good lesson just to give some perspective. Because I want to preach to you on this subject tonight. It's not at all about you, but it is 100% about Jesus. It's not at all about you, but it's 100% about Jesus. And I want us to go from, from page to page and chapter to chapter and book to book from Genesis to Revelation. And I want us to see how it is not at all about you, but it is 100% about Jesus Christ. The very first mention of the promised Messiah in the Bible is Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, right in the midst of God, pronouncing judgment upon Adam and Eve and a curse upon the serpent and upon the earth, he gives hope and promise. Notice, please, our text. Genesis chapter 3. Notice, please, what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The Bible says, God speaking to Eve, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, speaking to the serpent. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Right in the midst of all of this condemnation and judgment and curse, God is giving hope and promise. We call this verse the Proto-Evangelum because it's the very first mention of the gospel anywhere in the Bible. And think of it, long before the world began, and long before God had made the first blade of grass or the first rippling brook, long before he made the first jutting mountain peak and the first snow-capped crest, long before all of that, and long before Adam and Eve decided they would do exactly opposite of what the Bible says and what God says, God had a plan in motion to work man's redemption and to rescue him from himself. And he tells us this a little bit in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Now, 
I want us to go from page to page and from chapter to chapter and book to book and see three simple truths in the Bible. I want you to see that the Old Testament primarily gives us this message. The Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. The Deliverer is coming. He's coming. That's what Genesis 3 and verse 15 says. Even in the midst of the curse and the judgment and the condemnation, this is what the Bible is saying. He's coming. There's hope. There's a deliverer yet to come. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to Genesis or Exodus chapter number 12 and Exodus chapter 11. Would you? Exodus chapter 11. Now the children of Israel are in bondage in Egypt. While they're in bondage in Egypt, God sends them a deliverer named Moses. And he tells Moses to march into the throne room of Pharaoh and say, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord. And when he asked that question, he wasn't asking to learn. He was asking in arrogance. And God yet gave him an answer, 10 painful answers up to the question, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And on the 10th answer, God sent the plague of judgment of the firstborn or death of the firstborn. Exodus chapter number 11, verse number one. And the Lord said unto Moses, yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out. Hence altogether, speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon this throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. Now, folks, look here. God is going to judge Egypt. He has already sent nine plagues. He's about to send plague number 10, which is going to be the death of the firstborn. But whenever God sends judgment, he always sends deliverance and he always sends hope and he always sends a way out. And in Genesis chapter Exodus chapter 12, he does this. Look at verse number three of Exodus chapter 12, Exodus 12 and verse number three. He says, speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to, uh, to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers. A lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. It says, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This was given to the Israelites, but it was available to the Israelites and the Egyptians. If they would follow God's rules, follow God's way, they would apply to the, the, the doorpost and to the lintel, the blood. Watch it. There would be deliverance of the firstborn. Hey, folks, do you know who the lamb is? Do you know who the Passover is? Do you understand the picture and the significance of the blood upon the doorposts and the lintel forming the perfect cross? Do you understand? It's the message of the Old Testament, which is the Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. Deliverance is coming. Hope is coming. He's coming. Take your Bible and turn with me to Numbers chapter 21, would you? Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, we find again what the Bible says concerning the promise of the Messiah. In Numbers 21 and verse number 4, the Bible says the children of Israel are journeying and they complain to God, God and Moses in verse number 5. said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? There is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among them people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Watch it. There's judgment, but whenever there's judgment, there's promise, and there's hope, and there's a way out, and there's deliverance, and such is the case. The Bible says that the, Moses prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord said in verse number seven, make thee a fiery, verse eight, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Watch here. Watch here. That serpent on a pole was erected and set up so that anyone anywhere in all of Israel could see it. And when they cast their eye in that direction and looked upon the serpent, they were showing faith in God's word and God's way of salvation. You know what that serpent is? Brass in the Bible is a picture of judgment. And Jesus Christ is the one who said in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And the serpent was lifted up on a pole. Jesus was lifted up on a cross. Hear it, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus took our judgment, took our shame, became sin for us. This serpent on a pole that is showed to us in Numbers chapter 21 is nothing more than the overriding theme of the Old Testament, and that is this. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Deliverer is coming. Hope is coming. He's coming. Amen. Look at what the Bible says in the book of Joshua, would you? Joshua in the Word of God. In the book of Joshua, the Bible tells us something that God did in an amazing way. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua is about to go into the first city and do battle. He's going to lead the nation of Israel around the city one time a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. 
He's going to lead them around in such a way so that they're silent from the first day on the first time on the first day to the last time on the last day. Somebody say amen right there. That's a miracle in and of itself. I mean, I load the kids in the car and go to Taco Bell and you can't keep them quiet. Can you imagine marching the whole family and the whole nation around this city? And this was God's strategy. Watch now. In Joshua chapter number five, Joshua is preparing. He's praying. He's getting ready for battle. And verse number 13, Joshua five, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Joshua was a warrior. Joshua was now the commanding officer of all of Israel. And he wants to know who this man standing in the shadow is. He says, Are you for us? Or for our enemies, our adversaries. Verse 14, he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. In other words, God said, I'm not for you or against you. I am the one you should be for. It's not me who should be choosing sides. It's you who should be choosing sides. And you should be choosing to be on my side. And when Joshua, a man of God, realized who this was, the Bible says in verse 14, he fell down on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. You know who this is? This captain of the Lord of hosts, this one who emerges from the shadows in a dark night just before Joshua is to go into battle. It's the one who is the promised Messiah, the one that Joshua has read about, the whisper of hope of Genesis chapter 3, the one who was there as Jehovah Jireh and provided himself as a lamb in Genesis 22. It's the one who would come along in Exodus chapter 12 and present himself as the Passover lamb. It's the one who would be the brass serpent in Numbers 21 and the rock that would follow them through Israel or through the land of, of the wilderness in the book of Deuteronomy. And now he's standing in the presence of Joshua. He says, I'm the captain of this outfit. You better bow in my presence. You see, the whole message of the Old Testament is he's coming. Hope is coming. Deliverance is coming. It won't be long. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Look at Judges chapter 13, would you? Judges chapter 13, we noticed briefly the other night. Judges chapter 13, notice what the Bible says in verse number 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman. Now this is Samson's mother-to-be. She hasn't become a mother yet. She's barren. And it says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto her and said, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. She gave her instructions. She went back to her husband Manoah and said, a, a, a man, a prophet, someone just appeared to me and said, we're going to have a baby. I don't know what to make of it. He said, well, did you ask him who he was? Did, did you, where, where is he? She says, well, I didn't even think about some of those questions. So the man got down on his knees and prayed and said, would you appear to us again? And the Lord answered the prayer. Look at verse number 15. Manoah, this would be Samson's father to be, said unto the angel of the Lord, let us detain thee, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, what is thy name that when thy 
sayings come to pass when they do the honor. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? You know, this is a very specific interchange that is almost identical to when in Genesis 32, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And he said, what's your name? And he said, why do you ask my name? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on watch. For it came to pass, when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar... And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground, but the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord, and Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. Do you know who this angel of the Lord is? Now watch now. In the Old Testament, generally speaking, when the Bible refers to it as an angel of the Lord, it may just be an angel. But when it refers to it, as it has several times in this passage, as the angel of the Lord, it's what we call a theophany or a Christophany. That is an appearance of God in the Old Testament. And do you know what is whispering through as it has throughout the ages and throughout the centuries? You know what is whispering through here? It is saying, God is saying, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. The Messiah is coming. The Deliverer is coming. Hope is coming. There's judgment going on in Judges 13. But I'm going to send you a Deliverer. Watch this. It's the theme of the Old Testament. Take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ruth. Now in Ruth, we find an amazing story of Naomi and Elimelech, her husband, who in the midst of a famine, instead of trusting God, decided they would trust in their own reasoning. And when they trusted in their own reasoning, it got them in a mess. They went down to, uh, they, they went down to a foreign a land and they went away from the place that God had them by the way. They got out of the will of God. And let me say, you never get back in the will of God the same places where you got out of it. And they came, they came and while they were in a foreign country, Naomi's husband died. Uh, her two sons, they grew up and they uh, got married and those two sons died. And now Naomi says, I'm going back. I'm going back to the place that I'm uh, from. I'm going back to my homeland. And Ruth and Orpah follow her and she says, go back. If I had got married now and I bore you sons, are you going to wait until they're old enough? Go back. Orpah said, okay, I'll go back. And Ruth said, nothing doing. She said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'm following you all to the end. And so Ruth comes along the, across the border into Israel and comes down into the place of their homeland. And people, when they see Naomi, they say, is that, that, that you? Is that you, Naomi? She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. I'm bitter. And don't you know what the Bible tells us is that Ruth, Ruth followed her to the end. There was a man that emerged from the story named Boaz. Are you ready? Who became the kinsman redeemer. And in a series of specific choices and specific actions to take Ruth to himself, something that another family member would not do, though it was his duty, Boaz becomes a beautiful picture of Christ who takes to himself a bride of the Gentiles. Thank God. Do you know what Boaz is? He's a whisper of the Messiah, and he's bleeding through the Scripture. And there's a little flicker of light in the midst of an Old Testament darkness. And it's saying this, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The, the Redeemer is coming. There's hope. He's coming. 
Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me, if you would, in the Bible to the book of to the book of of Psalms. I want you to turn to Psalms. Now, in the book of First Samuel, you find David anointed as king, and David is in the line of Christ. David is going to be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But w- would you turn with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter number twenty-two? Psalm 22, I want you to read the first few verses of Psalm 22 with me and notice what the Bible says and see if it reminds you of anything else that happens in the Bible. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou, that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Do you see how it started? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Sound familiar? This is what Jesus said on the cross. Hundreds of years before Jesus would get to the cross, you have the prophet, unbeknownst to him, uttering what Jesus would cry out from the cross. Do you know what this is? This is the suffering Savior. In Psalm 22, you find him suffering. You find him pierced. You find every bone in his body pulled out of joint. You find specific details that highlight and emphasize what will happen with the Messiah. Do you know what Psalm 22 is? It's just one in a long line of links to the chain that go all the way back to Genesis 3. And they're saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. The Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. Deliverance is coming. There's hope. Look at Psalm 23. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know who this is? The good shepherd, it's our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And David, who would know much about being a shepherd, is writing about the one who is his shepherd and wants to be your shepherd. And Psalm 23 is just a little whisper, a little faint glimpse. It's a little glowing light. It's a little flicker of warmth in the midst of cold Old Testament darkness that says, there's there's coming a Messiah. Jesus is coming. Messiah is coming. You don't need to despair. There's hope. There's deliverance. There's a Redeemer. His name is Jesus. Take your Bible and turn with me to Proverbs chapter number 8. Proverbs chapter number 8. I want you to see it. You see, I want you to get this fixed in your mind tonight. The Old Testament wasn't about specific individuals, just them. It wasn't about those who were known and unknown, named and unnamed. It was about this message. The Messiah is coming. Hope is coming. Deliverance is coming. It wasn't about them. It was about the Lord. It was about the Lord's promise. It was about his promises being yea and amen. Look at Psalm or Proverbs chapter number 8. Look at what the Bible says. In Proverbs chapter number 8, in verse number 22, it says, The Lord, speaking of wisdom now, possessed me in the beginning of his way before these works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. 
When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth, while as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed to the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth. And my delights were with the sons of men. Do you know who this is talking about? It's speaking specifically of wisdom, but wisdom is personified in the person of the Messiah, Jesus. It's one of those whispers of hope in the Old Testament that say, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The promise is coming. Do you, do you know? That's the message of the Old Testament. Look at Isaiah, would you? Chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. We'll not touch all of them because we haven't time tonight, but we're moving quite quickly to note. Isaiah 53, notice what the Bible says in verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He says in verse number three, he says he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Do you know what this is? This is just a foretelling of the sufferings of the Savior. And Isaiah is replete with them. Look back at Isaiah chapter 7, would you? Isaiah chapter 7. I'll not note all of them because they're all throughout Isaiah. But Isaiah 7, when Isaiah the prophet prophesies to Ahaz, the wicked king of Judah, he says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is one of his names, which means God with us. What am I saying? I'm saying the Old Testament theme is that it's not about any one particular individual except the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament theme is the Messiah is coming. Hope is coming. Jesus is coming. Deliverance is coming. That's the idea. Look at what the Bible says in the book of Hosea, would you? Look at the, what the Bible says in the book of, uh, of Hosea. We'll not cover all these, but notice what the Bible says in the book of Hosea. Hosea tells the story of Hosea the prophet, and Hosea is told by God in chapter 1 to marry a girl named Gomer. Any girl here named Gomer? A little bit of an odd name, but Gomer is who Hosea was to marry. And Hosea was to marry her, and God said this before Hosea married her. She's going to play the harlot. She's going to leave you. I want you to go after her, and I want you to show your love to her, and I want you to woo her back. And Hosea goes, and he woos her back and buys her out of the slave market and makes her his own. Do you know what that is? That's a picture of God's amazing love for his people, his people Israel. And through Israel, the promise of the Messiah would come. If we had time tonight, we'd look in Jonah, how that Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. And that's a picture of the Lord Jesus, who would be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. We'd look at Joel how the Bible says that Israel will someday look on him whom they pierced, talking about his death. Do you know what that is? A whisper of hope, a little flicker of light, a little, little beacon of warmth in the midst of a cold, cold, dark night. It's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. That's the theme of the Old Testament. And then you come to the book of Malachi. 
And between the book of Malachi and Matthew, are you listening? Watch here. You know what you have? Not one. Not ten. Not fifty. Not one hundred. Not two hundred. Not three hundred. But four hundred years of silence. What had happened? God had judged Israel and Judah for their idolatry, for their wickedness, for their rebellion against His word and His way. And do you know one form of God's judgment is silence? You don't want to listen to God? You don't want to listen to His word? You don't want to respect His prophet? In this case, the prophet is Pastor Monday. You don't want to listen to the preacher? God will let you have what you want. Not one, not five, not ten, not fifty, not a hundred, not two hundred, not three hundred, but four hundred years of silence. Gave the people time to wonder what God said. What was it he said again? He said, He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Look at John chapter 1. Because ladies and gentlemen, in John chapter 1, those 400 years of silence are about to be broken. There's a peculiar prophet who's been preaching out in the wilderness. And all of Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria has gone out to hear him. And in John chapter 1, the Bible says that John has told us, there's one coming after me who I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoe latchet. Verse number 26, and John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, when he whom ye know not. He it is whom who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. John preached repentance. He preached faith in the Lord. He preached fire. He preached judgment. He preached hellfire and damnation. He preached that if you're a phony, you need to get right with God. He preached that someday the axe would be laid against the root of the trees. And now, as he's preaching, right in the middle of his message, something interrupted it. The presence of someone interrupted it. And John the Baptist said, excuse me, folks. Sir, if you wouldn't mind, just move to your right a little bit. Ma'am, if you wouldn't mind, just move to your left. Excuse me, just step aside. I'm making straight a highway for our God. I'm making the low places high and the high places low and the crooked places straight. Excuse me, just step aside, if you will. Just move, make way, if you wouldn't mind. There he is. He's here. He's come. He's come. Jesus has come. The hope of the Old Testament, the promised Messiah, the Redeemer, the Deliverer in the midst of judgment. He's here. I'm not worthy to open the door for Him. I'm not worthy to be His friend. He's here. He's here. He's come. 
You see, this is the second great theme of the Bible. The first is, he's coming. The Messiah is coming all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when in the midst of judgment against Eve and the, and the serpent and, the, and, and, and against Adam and, and curses upon the ground, God says, there's coming one who will be the promised seed, and she, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent will bruise his heel. That's the one that's coming. And all throughout the Old Testament, you have the theme, he's He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And for 400 years before he came, God went silent. No preacher. No priest proclaiming, thus saith the Lord. No one you could look to and say, is God speaking right now? Can I get a word from the Lord? Nothing. Nothing. And John bursts upon the scene, born in a miraculous way to old parents, filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb of his mother. I'm not sure how I can even explain that as a theologian, but I'll tell you the Bible says it so, it's so. And when John gets his chance to preach, this was his message. He must increase. He must increase. He must increase. But I must decrease. And don't you know John the Baptist spent his entire life in ministry saying that until all the throngs and crowds left him and went and followed Jesus and they watched his miracles and they heard him speak in Mark as one having authority not like any of the other scribes. And Jesus went and he performed miracles and he cast out demons and he raised the sick and he raised the dead and he made the lame to walk and the deaf ears stopped and he healed the lepers. Everywhere he went, he did good and Jesus Christ is the one who was the theme of the Old Testament. This is the one who would bruise the head of the serpent. This is the one who is our Passover lamb. This is the one. He's here. He's here. He's here. And he gathered to himself 12 disciples and they followed him for three and a half years. And they sat at his feet and they listened to his teaching and they were enamored with his words and they were excited about the hope and possibility. This is the one. And when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the foal of an ass, he came in and the world said, Hosanna. But everything that looked so good physically was about to turn very dark. Because in a week, those same people would be crying, crucify him, crucify him. And the whole world of the disciples would one day quickly turn upside down. And the one that they had listened to and learned from and watched perform miracles and stand face to face and toe to toe with the Pharisees now was brutally bloodied and beaten until flesh hung from his back. And a crown of thorns was on his head. And a crowd of mockery was beating his face and punching him and plucking the beard from his, from, from his face until from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, he was covered with blood. And many of the disciples watched in horror and defeat as Jesus was taken to the cross. And one by one, the clanging of the hammer against the nails drove them through his hands. And through his feet. Some of those who followed him knew what was taking place. Most of them did not. But this was all a part of the plan. The cross is not a symbol of defeat. It's an it's a absolute banner of victory. 
Because it was at the cross and through his blood and through his death and through his dying and through his burial and through his resurrection that Satan is defeated and the victory is won and life can be had. Do you know why? Because when Jesus died and was buried and rose again, we can look back at the Old Testament and say, the Bible is true. Everything has come together. He's the one whose name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Then Jesus rose from the dead. He was seen of Peter. He was seen of James. He was seen of the disciples in the upper room. Then of Thomas. He was seen of 500 brethren. And last of all, he was seen of Paul as one born out of due time. And before he went up, he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and tell them that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again and tell them this he's coming again preacher is that what Jesus said in Matthew 28 we told him to tell them Jesus died was buried and rose again but watch this is the third theme that works all together throughout the New Testament watch the Old Testament it was he's coming the Messiah's coming he's coming and then he came And that's the second theme. He has come. The Messiah has come. Look at He's the one. He's the one that died and was buried and rose again. And now He's ascended. And He sits at the Father's right hand. And He ever lives to make intercession for us. And so you know what the theme of the New Testament in large part is? He is coming again. He's coming again. That's the time that we're living right now in the New Testament age. When Paul would preach in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Would you turn there? Quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 51. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you know what the Bible's saying? He's coming. He's coming. He's coming again. Look at what the scripture says in the book of in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, would you? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Notice verse 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Hey, my friend, listen to me. It's not at all about you, but it is entirely about Jesus Christ. You know, I heard a wise man say one time, what you need to do is just get over your old sorry self. And that's true. You just need to get over yourself. 
You're not the center of the universe. You're not the only pebble on the beach. You're not the one that the whole world centers around. But Jesus is. He is the son of righteousness. He is the one that brings healing in his wings. And if you'd get your eyes off yourself and put it on Jesus, you'd be fine. And all your troubles would dissipate. And you'd know how to handle them and how to face tomorrow. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2. Look at what the Bible says in verse 19 and 20. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? Christ, watch it, at his coming. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13. To the end he may establish your hearts, unblameable in holiness, before God even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them with jar sleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What's the Bible saying? He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at what the Bible says in verse 23. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. Notice, it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 7. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is this saying? Jesus is coming again. He's going to come again in the clouds and call us up to himself via the rapture. We're going to enjoy the marriage. The, the bema seat of Christ is what we're going to experience first. And then we're going to enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at the end of those, that time, we're going to get on horses. And we're going to ride with the Lord Jesus down through the portals of heaven. And we're going to watch as the Lord Jesus Christ himself does battle, battle royal with the Antichrist. All the while that Jesus is dealing with us as his saints in heaven. And as all the while we're enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. On the earth there's going to be a man who gets a little too big for his britches. His name is the Antichrist. And he thinks he's going to be somebody. He's going to be the embodiment of everything that is evil and vile and wicked and refuse. And he's going to destroy multitudes on this earth with his wicked desires and his vile attempts to exalt himself as God. And at the end of those seven years, that's all he's going to have. Not even two presidential terms of a United States president. Seven years. God's going to cut his second term short and he's going to do battle royal with Antichrist in the Valley of Megiddo. And you know what Jesus is going to do? Watch it. Set up his 1,000 year reign. Reign for a thousand years. You know what's going to happen? Satan will be bound during those thousand years in a bottomless pit and there won't be elections every four years. Ten, I get an amen right there. <laughs> Jesus is going to be the one reigning. No more crooked politicians. Jesus is going to be the one ruling for not one, not five, not a hundred, not, not 500, but a thousand years. He's going to reign during the millennium. The lion is going to lay down with the lamb. The little baby will play on the hole of an asp's den. It's going to be a time of unparalleled peace at the end of those thousand years. Satan is going to be loosed one last time. And probably one of the most amazing truths to me, Pastor Monday, in all the Bible is that he is still 
going to be able to rally a rebellion against the Son of God. And that's it. The Lord's going to snatch him up by the nap of his neck, pronounce judgment and cast him forever into the lake of fire, never to see him again, never to see him again. I'm going to shout a thousand hallelujahs right there. Watch it. He's going to destroy this heaven, this earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible speaks of it in Revelation. We're going to gather around his throne and we're going to point to the one who's been the theme of the Old Testament. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. We're going to point to the one who came in the New Testament. And John the Baptist said, that's him. That's him. That's him. And we're going to bow before the king. And we're going to lay down our crowns at his nail-pierced feet. And we're going to weep and sing, Thou art worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. For by thy blood thou hast redeemed us. You see, folks, I want to tell you tonight, your problems may be big, but they aren't as big as Jesus. Your problems may be hard, but they aren't as wonderful as Jesus. I want you to understand that Jesus is the whole reason we exist. And it's our job to order our life according to his word. Our job to sing and praise him now. Our job to become faithful to him now and follow him now. It's our job to trust him now. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you ought to run to him. Because it's not at all about you. It's 100% about Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you're saved, but you're just kind of fledgling, fledgling, you're back and forth, sometimes on, sometimes off, sometimes hot, sometimes cold, you ought to sell out now and quit tottering on the fence and get on with it and start serving Jesus with everything you have because it's not at all about you, but it is 100% about Jesus. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask how many in this room would say, with heads bowed and eyes closed, Preacher, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm saved. But you'd say, Preacher, in some way or another, I've let this thing become about me. The focus on me. The attention on me. You say, Preacher, I need to get the attention off of me tonight and put it on Jesus. If that's you, you say, Preacher, I'm saved, but I need to get my eyes off of myself and my trouble, and put it on Jesus where it belongs. If that's you, would you slip up your hand tonight? Slip it up high. Amen. Amen. Who else along with these? Slip up your hand. Say, preacher, I've been thinking it is about me. When I need to realize it's 100% about Jesus. Hey, you make that choice, it'll make your marriage better. 100% better. You make that choice, it'll make your relationships better. You make that choice, it'll make your job better. It'll even make your problems better if you get your eyes off of yourself and onto Jesus. Question number two, how many of you without doubt can say, Preacher, I'm not perfect, but I know I'm saved. I'm not hoping I'm saved. I'm not trying to be saved. I'm not thinking I'm okay. I know that I'm saved. I've asked Jesus to save me, and if I died now or five years from now, I'd be in heaven. I wouldn't be in hell. If you can say that with all assurance, would you slip your hand up high? Preacher, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. All right, God bless you. Thank you, and put your hands down. Now, I saw some who couldn't raise their hand. I want to thank you for being honest. But will you take it a step further? And put your trust in Christ tonight. I'm asking you to do something that up to this point you haven't done. To believe on Christ as your only hope for salvation. The Bible says at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. 
and confess him as Lord. So you'll either do it in this life when you have time and spend eternity in heaven, or you'll wait till the next life and spend eternity in hell screaming, Jesus is Lord. Which will it be? You say, preacher, I don't know that I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I need to know. And I want to know tonight, if that's you, would you slip your hand up right now? Is there anybody in the place like that? Just slip it up, say, preacher, I don't know that I'm going to heaven, but I need to know, and I want to know. Just slip up your hand and put it right back down. In a moment, I'll remember you in prayer. Anyone? Anyone? All right, let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, in a moment, we're going to sing, Man of Sorrows, what a name. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Oh, I pray that we would fix our eyes and our gaze on Jesus, never to take it off of him. Help us, dear Lord, tonight to seek you with everything we have now more than ever. Now more than ever, our homes need it. Our personal walks need it. Lord Jesus, our marriages need it. Our nation needs it. Our churches need it. Our towns need it. Help us to get our eyes on you and keep them there. I pray in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God's